What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of the InfiniBits podcast, where we talk about everything nerd culture, from games, movies, tabletop games, comic books, whatever we feel like talking about, really. I'm your host, John Handler, and this, my cohort, my co-host, the Warlock Supreme, Mr. Jeremy Blose. Hello, everyone. How's it going? We're here to talk about our fun times with video games and nerd culture and that stuff as a whole. Yeah. We, uh, on the docket today, we've got our top five games of all time as an icebreaker so that you get to know us, we get to know you a little bit. Uh, leave your top fives in the comment. Um, I'll start off. We'll, we'll go, um, we'll do like... We start, with the, we start with the bottom, our fifth. Going up. Oh, you wanted to go right from the stop? You usually no, 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 no. We're gonna go five to one. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. We build the tension. Okay. You you go first, you and then go I'll, first? Okay. you go first, and then I'll go, and then that's how that's how this works. Okay. So my number five, number is five. Super Smash Brothers. Now I think the biggest question people would ask is like, which Super Smash Brothers? To me, and you're gonna get this with the whole list of how I have it designed, is that um. Smash Brothers to me is, is, is a franchise. To me, it almost will always be whatever the newest version of it is because that's a franchise that very rarely falls back and has falters on what it did before. So as of right now, it would be Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Um, I think Smash Brothers is such a good franchise because it is a fighting game, and I know that's a thing that a lot of people argue about, whether it's a fighting game or not. Um, I consider it a fighting game. I know. I, I think a good majority of do. In fact, it's technically now considered the highest selling fighting game of all time. So even in that terms, it is. But I think it, what it does is that almost like fighting games and fighting game genre as a whole seems to be a very kind of like weirdly inclusive thing. I feel like it's getting bigger and bigger now over the past few years. But for the most part, like you're either really into it and you're playing Street Fighter and you're playing the weird anime games or you're pretty much just <laughs> playing Mortal Kombat. Or Smash Brothers, and I think Smash Brothers is that key moving point of everyone playing it, everyone enjoying it, and it has a way to be like, hey, you just want to play it for fun, and you don't really care about the competitiveness of it, we've got all the crazy items and all the randomness to it that adds to it, you want to be on the competitive edge, we can mm. go straight to Final Destination, no items, and just duke it out, and even from the outside of the fighting game community thing, I think one of the, the coolest things about Smash Brothers, especially now, is that it seemed like with with Brawl, they started trying to be, this is the love letter, the museum to Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, with all like the, the little demo things, the, the trophies, and everything else building up from it. And they've now, if Ultimate, pretty much become the de facto like, just video game museum as a whole. Having SNK in there and Castlevania and all these different franchises, even like Resident Evil like stickers and stuff of the, uh, like that. That it really adds like a whole like branding to it. It's funny is that like Fortnite, I feel like recently has been become this thing that like everyone's like the entertainment entertainment like medium where everyone comes together on one thing. And to All be the honest, cameos and stuff too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I feel like Nintendo, has, the the Smash Bros. series as a whole, has been that they invented for, the cameo for, in video games pretty much uh, for a long while, and then with Ultimate really stretching that to its its own ends, that like. It on its own as just a museum alone is like better than any other kind of thing. Regardless, added the fact that Smash as a whole is just there's so much content, so much to do, so much 
craziness to it. They definitely have fun with everything they add into it. He definitely shows that Sakurai really cares about every individual character he releases, that he, like, will have whole new, like, mechanics and, like, almost gimmicks to that character that is only to them and will never be used again for at all in the rest yeah, of the game. absolutely. And I, and I think that's such, like, a unique thing that that franchise has, um, which is very Nintendo and is very part of the video game thing. Like, I'm... It's one of those things where, like, I'm hoping that when we get to... Uh, an ultimate two or whatever they're gonna call it. Nah, just keep giving more fighter passes. Well, we don't I mean, need an ultimate two. They did say ultimate that, is ultimate. They did say that this fighter pass is coming out now, which I think there's two characters left. Will be the mm-hmm. last DLC. So I imagine that's the end of it. That's the last DLC, not last expansion. That that's in, that's entirely the case. Um, but my hope is that like, if they do another one, or even fine, if even if it's DLC, that we start getting more of the world of video games in here. And like, I know. It sounds weird and far-fetched, but, like, my two, like, biggest kind of hopes we get is the... I would hope that it seems like Microsoft is starting to, like, play nice a little bit with Nintendo. Now, obviously, most of that is Microsoft towards Nintendo, a very little Nintendo to Microsoft. Mm-hmm. But I was, w- I feel like Microsoft would be open to introducing some of their characters. I know some Absolutely. People, and I think some people will be like... I mean, we got that already kind of with Banjo. Yeah, Banjo was, like, a good start to it. And I think that most people will be like, yeah, but most of uh, Microsoft stuff is very mature rated. Which, to your end, yes, you are correct, but they've definitely found ways to take mature characters and put them in there. I mean, Bayonetta is an example. Like, she technically has yeah. guns. Yeah. They're attached to her feet or whatever, and she uses them. But even, like, Master Chief, the big one, like, you could easily just not have him use his assault rifle, keep his main weapon, like, the energy sword, and then he can use the other weapons, but use the weapons that are the least, like, regular gunish like a spartan laser is it just looks like a giant laser beam kind of yeah. thing or even like the the like the needler and stuff like that like mm. you can have him the needler would be cool yeah you can have him use weaponry that doesn't seem like the normal like i have just a gun with a pistol shooting yeah and i think that like that would be really cool now that one i feel like obviously is a little less likely what about the doom slayer <laughs> and, and that's the thing it kind of brings up too is now that them owning it that like people want the Doom Slayers and what that and the Doom guy is another example of like there are enough things in his catalog that he could use that doesn't have to be just here's the pistol with the bullet because mm-hmm. like the, the energy guns like the BFG as a whole like they're very much energy and like perturb, like uh, particle effects kind of a way which looks less violent than normal thing obviously they had thrown him down significantly, not having like ripping people's heads off and doing that stuff. But I think that'd be really cool. And then the other one <laughs> he is just like does a gore kill on Mario. I would almost like if like they would do another Smash Brothers for it to be like Smash Brothers like cro- like called crossover and like maybe even bring that in, would be cool. To me, the big one I'm looking is like Sega. Yeah. Um, because they're so very much heavy tied to Sega, and we only have Sonic in the game, and I feel like there's a bunch of Sonic characters in there, and then we can go into Nights in the Dreams. And people from Fantasy Star. Balan Wonderworld. Let's not bring that up. Get Balan uh, in there. But Balan I, confirmed for Smash. Let's get it going. Get that hype train happening. But I feel like Sega has enough, almost as many iconic characters as Nintendo that they could bring in there and even get weird with it, like bringing in the Ultra Beast guy and stuff like that. So it would be really interesting and cool to add that to it. But as a wrap the whole thing up, yeah, that's why I think Smash Bros. Is, is number five on my list because it is... Even outside of a video game, just a cool piece of material and everything that happens. Um, so that is my number five. That's awesome. I mean, it's a cornerstone of the gaming industry, period. 
Like, mm-hmm. we're... Oh my god, when did this game come out? 20, 2019? Ultimate? Yeah. Well, no, I think 20, it was, No, 20... I think it was the end of 2018. It was... It that's was right, December. that's right, that's right. Um, so we're, we're at, like, yeah, clo- close to three years. It's a little... Obviously, it's under that, but it's close to it. Um, and again... It, I think it's I think it's at twenty three million unit sale is the best selling fighting game of all time. So like it, it on its own. It's has, number three for best selling Nintendo game, isn't it? Well, yeah, on Switch specifically. Okay. It doesn't even just Nintendo, just on Switch as a whole for the thing. But yeah, so it definitely it's got, has it's got life. It, it's got life left in it. I mean, if they, I would not be surprised if we got a Fighter Pass three. Um, I know, I know they said it's the the last DLC, but they could easily. Do another World of Light well, type so, expansion where they add in more stuff. It's, it's never, it's never against Nintendo. I mean, they released the online mode to Super Mario Party like three weeks ago, like three years after the game came out. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah, who knows? So. Who knows? Um, I'm gonna switch over. I'm gonna hit my top five, and this is a this is a very new addition to my list. Uh, I put a challenge out to myself. Um, I have never played any of the Mega Man games. Um, I've always wanted to be a fan of the series, but I've never... I've never been able to experience it. Um, but I I put myself to the challenge, and I'm like, I'm gonna play every single one of these damn games. Uh, and I played Mega Man through Mega Man 11 in the span of, like, a month and a half. Um, and... Number five on my greatest games of all time list is Mega Man 3. Wow. Okay. I'm very shocked <laughs> by that. <laughs> I love that game. Um, I played Mega Man 1 in like one sitting. I played Mega Man 2 and 3 in one sitting together. And I think it's because I played those as a bookend to my day. That 3 is so powerful. Um, because, uh, to be fair, 3 has the coolest Robot Masters. <laughs> uh, yeah, it definitely has some of, some of the cooler ones in my opinion. Uh, I, I, Snake Man. <laughs> <laughs> Snake Man is awesome. Um, also, I believe Hard Man is in that game, and that's hilarious. Yeah, he's in that game. Okay, yeah. <laughs> he's got punchy fists. Ro- uh, yeah, there's like weird, like, things the, on his hands that, that just come it's out. The, it's the rocket oh, fists. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah, so yeah. cool. Um... But that whole game, like the level setup and just halfway through a level at random, you'll hear the... And then boom, Proto Man's there. You don't know who he is. He's just some evil red Mega Man guy. But turns out, no, he's the cornerstone. He's the Racer X to the the Speed Racer He looks like Racer X. I know, and it's just... He's the cool anti-hero... Like introduction to pro uh, of Proto Man, um, but like later on in the the game, spoilers. If you haven't played it, uh, after you get all the Robot Masters powers, you fight other robots that have the powers of the the Robot Masters from two. And I had just gotten through that game, and like i fought a robot that had heat man's powers and i was like god i have to deal with heat man again i hate heat man why do i have to deal with this again but this is so cool and i just could like the whole time 
every time I found like a little a little secret or like a little homage to the previous games, I was like, this series is coming together. And this is the point where, like, it shaped me going forward through the rest of Mega Man 2.11. Like, I, it just cemented my love of the Mega Man series. And 3 is the perfect Mega Man game. Yeah. I'm going to do X and the X series. <laughs> That's my next project. Yeah, when, when when we started this whole, because I I've always been a Mega Man fan and I love Mega Man. That like when we started this thing, in my brain, Mega Man Three was in the top of my list. Now, granted, um, I know a lot of people. Oh, like, it's the top of my list for sure. <laughs> we did the top. We did the top Mega Man games. And... Uh, mine ended up being nine, but I, but granted, it's oh, a little, that it's, is so good. <laughs> nine and ten are above them, but I, to me, it is a little bit unfair because they are newer versions of it. They mm-hmm. understood what Mega Man is, but that, but can we you, get a shout out for Solar Man? Get the music. Oh, that music, the music is, so is so good, so so amazing. But yeah, when we started, I like three wasn't on my top, my top of a spot, and I was wondering if it would get changed or whatever. And I know a lot of people prefer two over three, um, and I and I get that's that. just because Metal Man's in it. Everybody loves Metal <laughs> I mean, Man. Yeah, he does, he's completely overpowered. But when we went through them, and to see you like three so much was really surprising to me. But don't get me wrong, I like two. I don't well, like. Yeah. I don't like four. I... I do think, like, the middle of Mega Man seems to be the biggest, like, lowest part of it. Like, one, I think, is still very hard. Three had me so high up on the series. When I got into four, I was like, all right, this is... (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. But you know what? It's it's fine because, like, there's... the, The, like, the click moment. You know, like, people say when they play, uh, like, Dark Souls games, like, it clicks. 3 was the game where Mega Man clicked for me. And, I don't know, that's prob- that goes into why it's... But it's in my top 5, so deal with it. <laughs> it's my it's my number 5. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Okay, so we're moving on to my number 4. Number 4. Number 4! Now, just kind of like with Smash Brothers, where I kind of said that it is... The kind of the franchise as a whole. And I'm kind of going, stealing that with this one as well. You're cheating. You're cheating. Um, even though technically there's only two to decide from, but it's Destiny. Uh, um, you, we'll talk about... I was, wait, do you have Destiny at number four? Yeah. Destiny is also my number four, okay. and I have them grouped together as well. Then we can so... kind of conjoin this as one, <laughs> one thing. Um, but yeah, like, we'll, and you'll see because we'll talk about the new season later on, mm. but like, Destiny has... <laughs> become like a giant part of everything that I like and consume and things in video games for the past seven, eight oh, years. Oh, it's overtaken my it's... life. My wife hates me. <laughs> when, when new Destiny content is out, she hates me. Because I, and I, and... She used to play, she has a Destiny tattoo. Yeah, she and does. she just, she, she gets mad. <laughs> it's just that like, I am very much a, not like a fan of, First person shooters as a whole, like I'm. I'm fine no, you're with an RPG them. guy. But yeah, I, I very much like if you put like a Call of Duty in my hands or a Battlefield in my hands, I usually am just like these Mm-mm. are kind of dumb, these are kind of boring. I just I just don't get into them. But you add space to that shit. Well, yeah, yeah, the, the space helps. <laughs> and space. I, magic. I just think in general, it's just that Bungie more than any other uh, game company in the first person shooter space really understands how to craft 
like the gunplay and the AI and the enemies and how they move and how they interact and how you're supposed to fight them back and what they respond to the things you do. Because I remember before the Destiny uh, Destiny One Alpha started, that I remember I was always I loved Halo. Halo was like one of the other games I really really yeah. liked. And also made by Bungie. And then when I played maybe a month or two before that, I ended up uh, the the beta. I ended up playing Halo Four. And was really not feeling it. Was really not liking it. And I was worried that like, all right, maybe I'm just completely done with first person shooters now at this time. And I remember. Then, I remember yeah. you were very down on it. Yeah, I was. So I was very much like worried that like I have all this hype for Destiny because I liked Bungie and I liked the Halo games, but maybe I'm done with it. And then as soon as I started playing that Alpha, it clicked again. And I'm like, no, I understand now. I am not a first person shooter fan. I am a Bungie fan. Yeah. And I feel like every gunplay thing they do is so much fun that like. Throughout the whole time they've, they've done with the game, from when it launched, where there wasn't a lot of content, and the story wasn't there, and there were a lot of problems with it, the game was still just so fun to it, play and go through that it did not matter. It didn't me. matter. I sunk hundreds of hours into the game before Taken King even came out. Like, I just had so much fun going from planet to planet, just doing bounties. You know, it didn't matter. I was replaying old story missions when I was bored. You know, we were finding ways to make the content happen. Um, you know, we did raids. You know, back then we had Vault of Glass and uh, Crota's End and whatever the Skull Loss was. That's The uh, Prison, Prison of, of Elders. Elders. Yeah. God, it seems like so long ago. <laughs> it it to it be fair, long. it was so it was. long ago. It was. We're almost on a 10 year. It's almost been 10 years since we have any of these thoughts and, and feelings for it. Like, there... And this... And, I hear all the time with, like, World of Warcraft and other games like that, that, like, the people who were there at the beginning, they saw things that no one else saw, and, like, they really understand. And, like, I never, like, never quite understood that, but with Destiny... I understand, yeah. yeah. We understand that now, because we remember when we would go to the Cryptarch with an exotic and decrypt it, and it turned into, like, a blue. And it was like, what the heck was that? We remember standing and looking at a cave and just shooting at it for hours and hours and hours and hours and ends. Oh, I did that. I up. did that a lot. We understood the the pain of going into a raid, losing all your ammo, and then having to wait five minutes to pop heavy or, sim just to Or going into a raid, playing through the whole thing and getting nothing but what you've already dropped... In a game where random rolls did not really exist for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, we like we. It's interesting because like we are now. How many times am I gonna get the damn boots? <laughs> is all I'm gonna say is how many to every no matter what raid I do to this day, every time we go through, all I ever get is boots. And with the newest Destiny update, same thing. All the raid gear that I've gotten, it's just boots. <laughs> it's all boots. Oh, uh, but like. The advancements it's made when we got the Taken King, and I feel like they now have a story crafted. Um, now, granted, the I think the in-game story was was pretty good, but then when it came to the lore stuff, it was unbelievable. The entire Books of Sorrow, which was Oryx and the Hive's history, is such an amazing piece of story that I feel like if anyone that I know that plays Destiny and wants to know a little bit about the story, that's always the thing I tell them about and explain to them about. And oh yeah, that gets you right in. It's yeah, it's and it's such a, like a unique and very interesting story to how everything plays out. And we didn't know at the time, but really it has been like the basis of all of Destiny's story almost going forward. Because 
even today we're still dealing with Sabathun and Zivirath and the repercussions of Oryx and the Taken and all the things that he's done and stuff like that. And I think that really, really elevated to that game to something else, changing a lot of the gameplay, fixing a lot of the issues. And then I know a lot of people, when Destiny 2 came out, want to yell and whine and complain that like it's worse than Destiny 1, it's worse than this and the other. I agree that at the beginning of Go Destiny 2... Go back and play Destiny 1. Well, yeah. I dare any of you out there right yeah. now. Go back yeah. and play Destiny 1 for two hours and see if you can handle it. Yeah, because, like, I, I agree it's that... It's not the same. It's so much smoother in Destiny 2. Yeah, and I agree that when Destiny 2 launched, it was a little more casual-esque than it was more on the hardcore side. And, again, it took them time to fix it and this and the other. But I think... One of the and the benefit of this story as a whole too is is that Bungie seems to be listening to everyone. That's now, the know, thing. Bungie is fantastic yes. when it comes to that. And I understand PvP a lot. Of, said not so much, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> and I know I understand that a lot of people <laughs> say that like they don't actually listen. They just say, "Hey, we're we're hearing you, whatever," but don't actually do it. But I do actually like see many times where they are trying to change things and they're trying to fix things. They're hearing us. It takes time to. Find those workarounds. Yeah, and you know, so, sometimes you it's... can't please every single player all the time. Correct. But Bungie is doing the best that they can, and Destiny has survived this long, and it is killing it. And that's why it's our both of our number fours. Yeah, it's both our number fours. Like we did it, not discuss this. Yeah, right we didn't. Away. We, did we didn't that just, discuss. That just ended up That's a fancy coinky dink happening. Happening that way, but yeah. So and I guess also, I Mega Man is in both of our top fives. <laughs> if you think about it, I mean, in a way, yes, yeah, yeah. I, did, I was like, wait a minute, what? And I'm like, okay, uh, yeah. um, but yeah, and and you'll see us. Uh, we plan later on to talk about the new season of Destiny because that's one of the things that we've been playing because it just came out this week. But yeah, we might I, hit that up on stream too sometime this week. Who knows? Yeah, so I, I definitely am very much like. I think it's a good reason why it firmly picks that both our number fours on our, our list. Absolutely. So, because of that, does that mean we're going to jump right back into my number three? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make it easy that That's way. how it goes, because it was, it's you, and then me, yeah, and then you, and then me. You. But... All right. Sorry. So, my number three is Final Fantasy VI. Whoa. To some people, that's... Taking it to the SNES. <laughs> to some people, that's Final Fantasy three. Uh, depending on how that all you works. Weirdos, you weirdos. You weird people who think that's number three. How Square Enix. Y'all know it's six. You know, you all know what the real things. number is. Um, it was like, <laughs> I want to say maybe ten years. Uh, one of the things with Final Fantasy is I hear a lot of times people say that your first Final Fantasy game is your favorite Final Fantasy game. And I don't 100% agree with that statement. I get some of it and I do agree with a little bit of it. But I don't 100% because when I decided like 10 years ago, I was like, you know what? I have never played an actual like Final Fantasy 2 completion. Like I had played a little bit of things here and there and most of them just kind of like, nah, I don't really want this, whatever it is. But I made it my mission to start going through all of them. So I started with Final Fantasy 1 and then went through Final Fantasy 2 and then and then 3 and then 4 and um, 5 and then and then 6. Going through them all, I'm... Numerically. Oh yeah, numerical order. Technically, where I'm at right now is I need to play Final Fantasy twelve. This is ten years in the making. These games are long. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. That it takes me a while to get to, and it doesn't help the fact that Destiny is in your life. Yeah, that Destiny, takes up so much yeah, time. Destiny became a thing, and then also <laughs> the uh, ten and ten two were such a like roadblock for me because I really didn't like you those. Should, but, you, should, you should play Final Fantasy twelve on stream for everybody. I mean, I don't know. We'll find about that in the future. Listen, should, I gotta find time for these things. I don't have time for anything. But anyways, we'll make time. Um, 
going back to that, when I was going through them all, um, one I really, really, really liked, and I thought what it did was very interesting, especially for it being the original, and then I had the four and four, I thought it was really good. But six, I thought it was so special in the way it did RPGs as a whole, well, specifically JRPGs as a whole, and how it tried to change different things and do different elements, and... The irony to me is that I know a lot of people who really like Final Fantasy that are like, oh, Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy IX and Final Fantasy X and this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. And the majority of them have not played Final Fantasy VI. And what's weird to me is that so much of those games came from VI to, like, have people not know. Because, like, VI was the first one to have the big, like, opera scene of, like, a play. Mm -hmm. And, like, seven has that in it. Like, nine's, like, whole opening section is a giant part of that whole bit. The, like, uh, mech armors that they're in were first introduced in six, And I feel like they have now become such a big staple throughout the whole thing. And I feel like the job system and the way it works of, like, putting on different espers, which are your, like, summons, and, like, learning the abilities evolved into the materia system, which evolved into a whole bunch of the other ways that the game works and stuff like that. I just thought we're so ingenious, and I the thing that blows my mind with the whole game too is that as a Super Nintendo game, which again I did play as an adult, so that Super Nintendo was a long time ago, so you don't even think about that. But the ouch, making me feel like a grandpa. <laughs> the story it has in it and how it portrays it, and it is a very dark, very like depressing story in many, many, many ways. Is such like I imagine. Maybe I'd like it now because I like to be depressed. <laughs> If if I had played this as a child, I don't even think I'd be able to comprehend like the levels of everything that that's going on in the story. Um, because there is so much too of I like when stories have a tale of two warring nations against each other, and they are not both like they're not just one is evil, one is good. Because at the start of this, you have like the two sides and. While both sides are doing bad things, they have good people in them, and you see them and stuff like that. Um, and Six's main archer, archer-oving Viabil and Kefka, like, proceeds over all of that. And it's, like, the real, like, he's the heinous person in the enemy side. And eventually, basically, like, uh, eliminates his, whole, his own crew and whatever it is just to become this, this thing that he is. So, like, even within that, you see some people on the side that are like, no, we don't want to kill innocents. We don't want to kill... The people that aren't part of this, we just need to like get our ideals out there, and that's such a crazy thing. The other, I will think, is amazing thing that Final Fantasy VI does is that I feel like for the most JRPGs, most people, the biggest issue people have with it are the grind of it. Is that like you have to like sit there for hours and hours and hours and fighting yeah. enemy after enemy after enemy to grind yeah. for experience and stuff like that. And six finds a way to negate that in a very, I think, unique way. That for the majority of six, there are like a whole bunch of cast of characters. There's like I think like eighteen or like twenty or something like that. That's a lot. But it's like Mass Effect two lot. Yes. There, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the, and the cool thing about it is that most you don't even have to find all of them. Like you can finish the game without even getting. Oh like, no! You gotta find all of them. You have to. You can go through the entire game without. Like, I would have uh, to like uh, acquiring like half of them. In fact. Um, I think when I beat mine, there was like one or two people I didn't see that like when you finish the game, it has a like, this is where they are at now. And it has those images of those characters come out with like a <laughs> They gray... were at a barbecue. <laughs> it has them come out with like a gray screen that's basically like you didn't find them. You have no idea they who They graduated with honors. Or who their story is. So you still get an, uh, an essence of that. They were but... visiting their mom at the nursing home. <laughs> because of having this large cast of characters, 
they end up having multiple groups that you jump back and forth between. Where you end up playing as a group of like one cast of characters for the next like f- like five or six hours, and then it will then that story will hit like a ending little like a cliffhanger ending point, and you'll swap to another group of people. Mm. And because of that, everyone's levels almost are always somewhat similar. So you're never really grinding that hard to go above everything else. You're almost like cool. just grinding out like a handful, like two or three levels each time. Because once you finally finish that part, you go to the next person, and that person is still at level ten or wherever you're at. So you just bring it up a little bit to move on to the next one. And it adds so many like cool little mechanics. And what I love too is that six was the first one to again introduce like little mini games into Final Fantasy. Um, there was like a real whole like rail cart thing around, like a, a mine cart thing moving around. The actual play and like having to memorize the lines and different things like that that I thought were really fun and really cool. And I feel like every Final Fantasy game since them has tried to introduce these mini games. And to my regard, most of them have failed. I think the only one I've liked so far at passes was uh, Final Fantasy VIII's card system. Um, Final Fantasy VIII's card music is good. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the, well, I mean, and speaking of music, Six's music is just so stunning and so amazing. And the the final battle of Kefka is my favorite video game music of all time. And that it is multiple. That's, that's some big. That's some big. Because then, really, it's it's a four piece musical on, oh, yeah. on Sombra that just amps up and amps up as it goes on. And the first three segments of it. Do not sound like you were on a Super Nintendo. It sounds like you're on modern equipment with modern things. And then once you finally get to the final part of him, it just hits in in super hard, like Super Nintendo, like 16-bit, like tunes. And it's such a really, really, really cool aspect. And just there's so much about Six about how I feel like most people don't talk about how it has influenced every JRPG. I think, period, since it's come out, and I even with the Final Fantasy and other series as a whole, that I feel like people just don't know or don't talk about and well the the thing that i always i always hear is the final fantasy games that everybody seems to latch on to are the playstation and on like yeah and i and i do believe a lot of that has to do with when final i think that's our age bracket well, too. no i i think it's final like jrpgs as a whole really were not a big thing and final fantasy 7 on playstation 1 was like one of the first ones that really, I feel like, cracked the JRPG genre into the wider stream audience. And that's why, for the longest time, like PlayStation 1 is like one of the bigger JRPGs machines. Like, a lot of the best uh, JRPGs come from there. That's true. And you also see very much that, like, almost every Super Nintendo JRPG is, like, super rare and super expensive just because nobody bought them. But, like, it, and again, not saying that they're not rare on the PlayStation either, but, like, I feel like... Finding a, a copy of Final Fantasy VII in case with its manual is way cheaper than finding a box copy of Final Fantasy III in box with manual. It's just the the at the way it was at the time. And yeah. I do think that Seven put it on people's eyes, and that's how people started seeing it. So that's when they started looking more into it or whatever it is. But that's pretty much like why I think Final Fantasy VI deserves my number three spot. That's awesome. Uh, my number three spot is the... Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know what this is in my life, but it's like the perfect melding of genres. And the first time I played this game, I just I I got through almost the entire thing in one sitting. I was enthralled by 
everything about it. My number three is Bioshock, the original. I just... Which Bioshock is one of those games that whenever I think of you, it's what I think of as Bioshock. It's so... It's just... The the horror aspect, the, like, sci-fi, the retro, it just... Man, it oozes environment. It, it like... It's... Yeah, it's definitely one of the games that the environment tells almost... And then not, not to say the story in Bioshock's bad, but like it tells almost a better story than the story itself does. It adds so much to the game's narrative. The gameplay is your typical shooter for the most part, but like there's exploration aspects to it, um, almost like Metroidvania in a way. Um, the mini bosses of like the big daddies roaming around um like there were so many like jump scares that didn't need to happen but they (laughs) happened anyway um it's just it was a world that i wanted to learn about like i just i wanted to get in there and like i listened to every single audio tape um i read like the fan forums online about like rapture and um when there were whispers of two coming out, I was like, oh, we're going to get more. We're going to get more lore of this world. Um, and the, the twist in Bioshock. <laughs> uh, I don't want to spoil any. It It's, it, you know, this game came out, what, almost it's like 15 a, years yeah, ago. Yeah, oh, my God. I know. 15 years. One of the things with doing this whole like top five is the amount of times where I'm like, oh, oh look at this game. Oh, my God. It reminds me of, like, I saw recently on Twitter people being like, you think uh, 15 years ago this is Legend of Zelda. And it yeah. shows, like, the original Legend of Zelda. Yeah. But it's like, no, 15 years ago was Wind Waker. And it's oh, like, oh, my, my God. God. That was not what I thought in my brain. No. Uh. <laughs> I just, oh, I had a moment just now. <laughs> uh, but that moment that the game, that Bioshock starts, you're in the plane, it's all smoky, <laughs> because people get smoke on airplanes back then. Um, but the game automatically throws me, in, throws the player into a setting, which, for me, I am completely uncomfortable with this situation. Uh, you may have seen in the Resident Evil playthrough, I am terrified of, like, the ocean. And being in the ocean. And the, giant things And giant things the in the ocean. Um, do I live near the ocean? No. Should I be worried about sea creatures? <laughs> no. But, like, I don't want to. I just, I'll stay where I am on the land, and that's fine. I am not a pirate. I will never be a pirate. <laughs> it's hard to be a pirate these days it's hard to be a pirate these days um but you like swim around the plane wreckage and propellers are zooming past you uh as you're like trying to like make it to the surface and you see the lighthouse this like beacon of save of, of like safe of your like saving grace and the, you get up there the door shuts and you're greeted with the giant metal face of Andrew Ryan <laughs> and all these cryptic uh, just notes and sayings. And you're like, I'm supposed to still be scared, right? Like, or am I safe? I don't know. 
Um, you're never safe in that game. You're never safe. Uh, but then you like you take the bathysphere, and you just see yourself descending, and then the the screen comes down and plays the "I'm Andrew Ryan and I made a city." <laughs> Come check it out. It's pretty cool. <laughs> we don't have laws. Like that, that. That's great. <laughs> That'll work out just fine. Nothing's ever gone wrong with that <laughs> at all. You can do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. And then the, the screen comes up. You got the whew, the squid. And there's that, like, the first time I saw Rapture, it blew me away. Because I'm like, this is beautiful. I would never live here. This is... <laughs> This is such a cool idea. And they've progressed that um, through the series with with Bioshock 2. Um, introducing more lore about the Big Daddies and what... Which... They're so... They're such a cool boss idea. Um, also, the, the, the mechanic of saving or straight up murdering a child... You don't see that in games. <laughs> and I, the first time I played this game, I was like, this is like some serious morality choices that you're making here. Um, but just seeing how the place went to hell um, and uncovering the mystery of, of Rapture, what Rapture is, the citizens of Rapture, the straight up, craziness of some characters uh still i have nightmares sometimes about sander cohen yeah that <laughs> i feel like he's the one that everyone watches the most on of how twisted and like when you is. when you get to that part in the game it's just like you're worried about yourself and you know you're getting powers and everything from from the, the little sisters and it's not until you get to that part where it's just like man now i'm really terrified for myself <laughs> like what is going on here um and then again like i said that twist at the end it's still it's still one of the best twists in games right up there with knights of the old republic for me um like Andrew Ryan as a character is still so completely complex and Atlas and you're the character that you play Jack and they're just this whole like trinity of characters um, and how they play off each other is so cool. Um, I want more Bioshock. Please get on it. I'm just I'm asking for it. Now, please. Do you want more? I don't want more Rapture. Okay, I was, I was gonna ask. Like, do you want us to go back? Do you want us to go more Much, like wherever we want to a new fantastical area? I want to like be. I want to be wowed again. When I played Infinite, I was wowed. Uh, it's the same basic setup, and that plays into the story of what Infinite is. Um, but. Much the same way you get to the lighthouse, but instead of going down, this time you go up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you you break the cloud uh, you break the cloud layer and I had that same awe feeling that I did the first time I saw Rapture, uh, this time on Xbox 360. 
Do you, uh-huh. do you want it to be... See, my problem with Infinite was the fact that it was more of an action game. It basically, like, to me, Bioshock 1 was way more of a survival... It like, was definitely uh, more survival, but there it, it did have... Because by the problem, once I got to have with the Infinite, I felt like it was just basically get to encounter and shoot a bunch of dudes, get to encounter and shoot a bunch of dudes, get to encounter think, and shoot a bunch of dudes. I think that has to do with the environment in Infinite. It um, is a brighter place. It is It is more of that. Because um, you had, in Rapture, these people were like mutated from their abilities. For the most part, in Colombia, it's just angry white people. <laughs> and that's... Mm-mm. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. that game is uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the opening bit. I like a lot with the apples or whatever. Oh, that yeah. game's uncomfortable. Um, I am not a fan of. So of you're, that, you're fine but... with, with like Bioshock three or four, whatever they call it, when it comes out, um, being more action, or do you want it to be more? Rounded? I I'd be fine if it was more action, if it fits. Okay. Like for like for me, the thing that again, what draws me to Bioshock is that world and that environment. Okay, so I was like, gonna... I'm fine with the the action in in Infinite mm-hmm. because it fits the story. Like you have an entire floating city after you of these like rec- like religious nut jobs, and that's your main enemy. I personally like the horror genre more than what they were going for in in infinite Mm -hmm. but the companionship of elizabeth in in infinite is what kept me in that i think it is its strongest its strongest tie which i why i think that like now granted you could also argue because uh booker d with his name right um, doesn't really have Mr. a face. Troy Baker himself. Um, doesn't really have a face that like Elizabeth is always like. Whenever people think about Bioshock Infinite, it's Elizabeth. That's the first thing that comes to the mind. Which is weird because in original Bioshock, I feel like the first thing that came to mind were, were the big daddies. It was the big antagonist, the big everything. That's why you play a big daddy in two. Yeah, which is exactly why you do that. And then three, <laughs> like I know the the is the bird called big daddy? What is the bird called again? I forget. But like songbird, the songbird. Is like supposed to be the main big thing that you think about with that game, but nobody oh, so thinks about that. The next game we're gonna play is a bird. <laughs> there you go. Now we're a bird. We're the, we're the bird people. Bio, um, Bio Squawk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this is definitely one of the best thing about it. What do you think, to its core, makes Bioshock Bioshock? Is it just the plasmids? Is it the fantastical world? Is it the, like the fact of like challenging political views? Like what? What do you see is what makes Bioshock Bioshock? <laughs> I was going to say, those are the top three topics that okay. came to mind. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's having the interchange of the gunplay with the abilities. Okay? Okay. We get that in other games. We get that in, like, Destiny, for mm-hmm. instance. Like, you have your you have your powers, you have your gun. Um, but it's that fantastical world, that setting, um, that for it just constantly evolves. In every single one of the Bioshock games, the first one, you know, you start out in your, your like, medical area, and then you go to, like, a garden area, and then you go to Sander Cohen's <laughs> theater, uh, you know, and then it just, it keeps evolving and changing the setting. You don't feel 
Like, you're in a city under the sea. But there's so many different places in that city <laughs> under the sea. And in Infinite, you're in a city in the sky. But there's so many different little places in the city in the sky. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> like, the, the change in the scenery, it, it, you don't feel stuck. There were times in Infinite where you did feel a little samey. Um, but most games you have that problem with, too, sometimes. But... Um, and just, like, the storytelling in Bioshock, even though the original and Infinite are kind of like, um, like, Infinite breaks down what the storytelling is. Like, that's that game's twist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that that's the essence of why it's your number three and we need to well <laughs> just game storytelling in general is why bioshock is so good to me um and just i have so many good memories <laughs> <laughs> so many horrifying memories too um but yeah the original bioshock my number three <laughs> all right uh my number two is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Oh, there it is, boys and girls. Now, one of the more interesting the things... B-O-T-W... I find with uh, Breath of the Wild is... One of the arguments I hear about Breath of the Wild a lot of times is the fact that, like, oh, if it wasn't a Zelda game, would people still like it? Would people still love it? And I always find that argument very interesting to me because... Yeah, because I, there's clones of this game all over the well, place. <laughs> it's not even just that. Is As John knows, uh, well... I am not a Legend of Zelda fan. I Hates have it. tried Hates it. the majority of Legend of Zelda games I have played. Uh, there are very few I have not. I haven't played Skyward Sword. I haven't played any of the DS ones. But I have played the original one. I've played two. I, I, the only ones I've beaten were the original Link of the Past and Link's Awakening. Uh, but I have played all of them. And some of them multiple times trying to get into them. And I just can never vibe with the series. It, and it makes you feel bad as a Nintendo fan that you don't like it one, does. Of the, one of the pillars. It does. I would call myself a like huge Nintendo fan, like a, a Nintendo fanboy, but they're like biggest, like you're a Nintendo fanboy, because obviously Mario is the biggest thing. Like biggest like internal Nintendo fanboyism game is Zelda, and it's just never vibed with me, and I've never understood it. It's because it's, it's fantasy. It, I don't think it's that. It's just, to me, a lot of them are like, there's too much formula, and there's too much like... <laughs> Just going through the motions to get to the next part and less of just like, oh, this and the other. Like, the gameplay itself doesn't suffice it. Which is the main thing that Breath of the Wild has more than anything else. Is that it makes sure that the gameplay is the front and center thing. And the the ideal of exploration is so good that, like, it is, like, and it was intended to be very much like the original Zelda. Which the only reason I think I don't like, and I think the majority of people don't like, is that it is an old experience, and yeah. it just doesn't age well. But it has that very much thing of like not knowing what's around every corner and what happens if I do this, and then discovering these secrets. And the most mind-boggling thing to me when I first played the Breath of the Wild um, was the fact that the first like two or three hours, you're going around the initial island and you're getting your powers, the bombs, the the, the magnesis all these different powers and abilities. And it wasn't until uh, you're like, here's the glider. Now go off into the actual world. And I realized that I've been playing a tutorial 
for the first three like hours of the game, and it never ever felt like a tutorial. It never felt like that was mm-hmm. the point of it, and which like kind of blew my mind because like one of the things I hate the most in video games is a tutorial. Like to me, a tutorial needs to be done in a way that it doesn't tell you how to like. It's telling yeah. you to play the game without actually telling you how to play the game in a very smart, unique way. It's not just press A to jump. Uh, here's the giant list. Here's the fucking controller with 8 million <laughs> buttons that tell you how to do everything. Like, it's way better if it is just inherently you figuring it out on your own. And for the most part, Breath of the Wild, the opening area does that. And it feels like I'm playing the game unless like I'm locked behind a box. Yeah. And then once you get out into that field... And he knows, like, one of the things I like the most about with open world games is an open world game that kind of lets you go and do what you want. Yeah. When I played Fallout 3 and even Fallout 4, my goal was to unlock the entire map before even starting the first real quest of the game. Like, in Fallout 4... He does like, it. He's a madman. Like, Fallout 4, like, your first, like, real quest after you get out of the vault is to go to the baseball field. That I didn't go there till like forty hours in. I went to every corner of the map, opening up every fast travel point, finding everything, looting. But my things. wife Piper is there, <laughs> so like I, that's just how I am. And the fact that this game pretty much starts out and was like, there is your enemy. You can fight him right now if you want to. You probably will not succeed, but you can go right now or go out your own pace, explore, find things on your own path. We're not going to tell you. Hey, there, there is this hidden dungeon thing here. Hey, there's this like hidden item here. Hey, these are how all the, the Koro seeds work and stuff like that. It is very much like you revolving around finding them. Yeah. And the ability of that game to always have a landmark in your viewpoint is so amazing. Of you getting to a spot and you being like, where do I go? And you just look around and you go, oh, that thing looks interesting. What is that? I'm going to go there. Mm-hmm. And always finding a way and finding a path to get there. And it just, it to me, is the essence of, like, a video game. Now, I know, to me, I feel like the most arguments people make about it, too, is that there's no story. And, like, to be, I'm not a huge story person, so that never has bothered me. And You're Link, damn it. You make your own story. <laughs> and there is kind of a little bit of story if you deep, dig deeper into it and whatever it is. But, like, that's why now we have, like, Hyrule Warriors, the, the Age of Calamity, you can go and get more story and whatever it is. But to me, it never really mattered. And the other thing I hear people complain a lot about is the the fact that the weapons degrade and you have to keep finding new weapons and armors for that. Which, to me, I appreciate a lot because it makes you think about your inventory and where yeah. you're going and what you have and am I prepared for this? Am I not prepared for this? And it really makes you, like, your, all your choices now matter. Um, and it focuses heavy on that. And Which I do think the fact that when you eventually get the Master Sword, well, it technically, like breaks and then comes back in 10 minutes it for the most part really eliminates that as a whole so it almost seems like once you get mm-hmm. far enough in the game and understood the mechanics and understood your choices understood all your things you now are like here's a crutch to kind of like, like negate that to a large de- degree the um the how the fact that, that game is such a oh i can do that kind of game where every time i have an idea of can i do this thing and it happening is so amazing uh, and back to like the story thing, to me the story of that game is you playing it, the amount of like stories and tales that I have from playing it that are unique to me and me alone and no one else has because yeah. I happened along to do that thing. The thing I always bring up with the whole bit is that I feel like once you get off the initial Great Plateau and you land, a lot of times it feels like it's designed to push you a little bit towards the castle 
where you'll find the first Guardian. Mm -hmm. And you just get wrecked by it. And I remember being like, holy shit, this thing is impossible. And then going through everything else, finding things, eventually getting enough upgrades and like getting, on, getting my own horse, and then finding another one and being like, you know what, maybe I can fight this thing and take it on. And it's trying to take it on now, maybe 15, 20 hours later, and it still completely kicked my ass and annihilated me. And then eventually getting stronger and more abilities, and then get to the point where I can fight them and very much be like, okay, now I can beat you things and fight you. And I remember that when I finally was like, all right, I've beat all the Divine Beasts, I have gotten pretty much every heart I need, all the stamina, all the equipment I need, everything I've done, and I've Let's played this for so long. Let's go throw down. It very much was like, here is Ganon's castle. There are like 10 different ways to enter, from the water, from the side, all these different ways to enter this castle, and you can go stealthily, whatever it is. And I remember very much being like, no. I have been playing this game for like 90 to 100 hours, and I am so powerful and so strong that I am going to walk up the fucking entrance and walk the whole way. And I remember getting there, and you see the guardians, and they immediately Dude, turn on you. Roll it in with the sunglasses in, on. And, and just they shoot it, and I just perfectly knock back, and I'm just ripping them apart. And I'm just like, I have never felt more powerful in a video game ever. Then going from literal, these things are the most impossible things ever, to being like, I'm in your house, try and take me down. Yo! And uh, it was such <laughs> a cool feeling that I've never had before. And it, it, it's just mind-boggling. That's how I feel every day when I wake up, baby. <laughs> and it, and I, I said, it's very interesting because, again, I've never been a Zelda fan. I like the idea of the, the world and the feelings of it. Like I Even like the story that I know that happens in Ocarina of Time, I think is really interesting. Um... And so, so the fact that like, I've actually been able to get into one of these games and into this world also I think was a very thing that I was very happy about. Um, and I'm very interested to see where they go with Breath of the Wild 2 because I, I know one of the biggest things that seems like most people critiqued about the game was the fact that there wasn't no dungeons because Zelda is very much a, you go to this giant dungeon and go through the thing and basically find the item halfway through and use that item to solve the, yeah. rest of the puzzles. That I they won have like hundreds they, of little mini. Dungeons. They had yeah, they had a hundred little mini ones, and then like the divine beasts to me were the dungeons in a way. Um, oh yeah, the the divine beasts are the dungeons in that game. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I I love the fact like I, I'm wondering if Breath of the Wild two if they're gonna try to lean more towards that, and I'm wondering if if I don't if it ends up hurting it for me or not because I feel like the I think Breath of the Wild's strength is the the fact that it's so far away from the Zelda formula. That I'm wondering if if they're trying to, I imagine Breath of the Wild lean a little bit further back into the the formula. How much to me ends up being where you cross a line? How pissed off are you going to be when that game's announced that's co-op? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm perfectly fine with that. Like, I think I I don't really see really a problem with that. Which um, one of us gets to be Zelda? I mean, me. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh. I don't want to be Zelda. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited for Breath of the Wild 2 and see what they're doing with it and how it goes. But for the most part, this in the whole is why Breath of the Wild is my number two on my list. Woo! My number two is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Ooh. <laughs> A shot back to the retro age of PlayStation 1. Uh, I didn't... I, I planned it on PlayStation 1. I had it as a kid. Uh, I didn't realize what this game was until it came out on the 360. Um, and then I got absorbed by it. Because uh, one of the things that really drew me towards it at first was like, I played this a lot. A lot when I was a kid. 
and I was scrolling through the achievement list, and I saw the achievement for unlocking 200.6% of the map. <laughs> and that got my brain going. Yeah, I imagine that's a very confusing thing of being like, what? And I was like, no, I beat that game. I know I beat... I know I beat this game when I was a kid. Like, I, I beat Richter. I, I punched his stupid face. Um, I was a stupid child and didn't know what I was playing. Uh, but that game is so full of mystery. And, like, this was my... This has been... This has been downloaded on every single system that I've had. <laughs> like, I have it on my phone. <laughs> it's I love gross, it. but it's there. It's gross, but it's on my phone. <laughs> Um, because, like, it's a game that I just keep coming back to. Um, like, there's, you might smack a wall, and then all of a sudden, ooh, it's a new secret passage, ooh, this is cool, environmental storytelling, um, much like Bioshock. <laughs> um, I, I love a game that just lets me go and explore. Breath of the Wild was one of those games for me, too. <laughs> but it wasn't spooky enough, I guess. Because <laughs> that's why it's not in my it top five. It didn't have that like horror aspect or that yeah. like, gothic. Yeah. Sense oh, to it. I, I need. Like... Uh, I, <laughs> I need to have the spooky in my uh, in my games. That like now that I'm thinking about it, it, all, such, it, all of the games that I like, yeah, they have a very spooky element to them. They, they've all way. got a little bit of a spooky element. Even even Fallout. I love Fallout, but there's it's still. And it, it's it's funny too with that with that aspect with with Castlevania. Is Castlevania has always been an interesting thing in my mind. Where like, no doubt in my mind, Castlevania is a horror franchise. It is a horror like element genre. It all mm-hmm. horror, but it is the most non horror horror thing. Yeah, because it's not really yeah. scary. It's not really trying to like boo spook you out. It's not really trying to creep you out. It's the aesthetic and the feel. Yeah, and the, it, no, the, it, it's. You you are like straight up just in the Monster Mash music video. Yeah, that's actually a good point. It is very much the Monster Mash. It is very much horror, but we're not really trying to be the most edgy like, thing. Frankenstein is there, and Wolfman is there, and there's a succubus who turns out to be your mom, but she's actually a succubus. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the main boss is Dracula, man, the the king of all vampires, like. The the leader of all of the the spooky monster crew, um, and you're his kid in this game. <laughs> also, you got your your play is Alucard, which is I I, I want to be there in the room when Dracula was like, we're gonna name him Alucard, and his wife is just name. his wife is just like, that's just your name spelled backwards. <laughs> that's stupid. <laughs> But you know what? It's fun. <laughs> it's it fun. The first time he looks in a mirror, <laughs> it won't work because he's a vampire. <laughs> it's true. I didn't you're right. You're right. That was his entire thought process. That don't worry, he'll never know. He'll he can't never know. Out. He doesn't understand the concept of mirrors. <laughs> Although Alucard is half human, half vampire, he might be able to see himself in a mirror. <laughs> Anyways. No, that's really bugging me. I, I need to oh. know. Uh, somebody find out and comment that. Please. I need to know if Alucard can see himself in the mirror. 
if you've made it this far, you care too. Um, <laughs> but no, it's just, it's got the horror element, but it's fun. Every, the dialogue is awful, but it's fun. Yeah, I feel like when it comes to PlayStation What is a one, man? Like, I think Metal Gear is probably the only PS1 game that has good dialogue. That's spoken, at least. Uh Word is a whole different thing because that's that's a writing thing. But like when it comes to actual, that game you, had a lot of dialogue. Because if you think, yeah, the dialogue, the like, what is a man? The like, whatever. A miserable little pile of secrets. Even, I don't make me. I'll do the whole. Even thing. the whole like Resident <laughs> I'll one, do with the, the like, whole thing. Jill sandwich and stuff like that. Like they were all <laughs> awful. Like, like I think Metal Gear is the only PS one game I can think of that has voice acting that actually nails it. Blood. Sure. Hope it's not Chris's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. That that's why this game is my number two. Is it fits that um it, it fits that need of like this is the most fun that i had in that um playstation era um like i don't know it just it's always brought me back um and most recently they came out with bloodstained which is just the perfect love letter to symphony of the night and well Castlevania as a whole <clears throat> yeah and I've, I've logged a lot of hours into that game. A lot. A lot of hours into that game. Twice! I played it on by PlayStation and Xbox. <coughs> I've been thinking about downloading it on Switch as well. <clears throat> I have a problem. I have an interesting thing again with, with Symphony that like I love Castlevania. And I and I, I love like OG Castlevania, Castlevania 3, we're not going to talk about 2. Um, Never played it. It's not good. Uh, I keep hearing it. Maybe and I'll I even it. like when we go to the GBA and the DS, we get like a Curse of the Moon oh, and Ori of Sorrow. That's a good one. Like I think those are all very good. For whatever reason, Symphony Night has been the one that I just can't get into, and I don't know why that is. Man, like, um, I know at least originally on PlayStation it was very much the load times. The fact that it's very much a game where it's like if you die. You get punished like so hard because it is such a like wait for the that load screen of the like text of like you failed or whatever it is, and then the load back to the main menu, and then the load into your loading your thing, and then you're actually loading the game and then actually getting to it. And it's almost like a two minute load time. And I know originally on PlayStation that was my biggest deal was that like I just felt like every time I died it was like too much of a that, punishment. That was one of the coolest things for me when I was a kid. Like all those load areas, they all have CD. Written in the t- written in the middle on the top of the screen in the transitions, and I asked a friend when I was a kid, um, like you can load in music CDs. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you can load in music CDs and it'll play the tracks. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. You know, a side note here, <laughs> the PlayStation One with the whole CD thing. I think it's such... Now, great. I guess today doesn't work because CDs really don't aren't even existing of the thing. What's a CD, Grandpa? Tell me more. <laughs> but, like, there are so many games on the PlayStation 1 that, like, have weird things or mechanics that revolve around you replacing the disc with yeah. another disc. Like, yeah. obviously, Monster Rancher is the one that everyone brings up because you put in, like, I don't know, your Dr. Dre album, and there you go. You got, like, a little monster or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, you do. But, like, I like the little thing there with the <laughs> Castlevania, and I know a few other games, too, that, like, just, like, things that most people never know, and, like, I think that's, like, such a really cool thing that, like, if somehow you could implement today, and, again, I don't even know how you would do that, like, upload a random-ass MP3 or some shit. Um, What's an MP3, Grandpa? <laughs> um, would be such, like, a cool way of doing it, and, like... <laughs> 
I know it has to do with the fact that like it like the the PlayStation One kind of reads the disc and holds it all in memory. So like yeah. technically, for the majority of the time, it's not reading from the disc, and then mm-hmm. allows you to swap back and forth. But I was just wish like someone else would find a way to make a modern impl- implication of a mechanic like that into a, a game today. I don't know how. I don't know what it would be. We all have Spotify in our systems now. That's the, well, that's even, the deal. Even, well, even that. You then. turn down the background audio and you turn on the Spotify. Well, even like that would be a way of like having a thing that like it like somehow is able to read your what you're listening to in Spotify. This is this is my hope for Starfield. Is you get it? <laughs> <laughs> this is my hope for Starfield. You get into your spaceship and you can like. Guardians of the Galaxy style, like boop 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 boop. That would, like that would be type, dope. Yeah, that would and you can like upload music, and you just cruise the solar system listening to. Yeah, that that'd be dope. That'd be dope. Michael Jackson's Thriller, <laughs> in space. It's space thriller. All right, so that was your number two. That's my number two. All right, so now we're moving on to our number one. Number one's best games of all time. Number one. For me, Ooh. anyone who knows me, it is Super Metroid. I was going to say Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't know you at all. To me, Super Metroid is a perfect game. Um, there are ve- like very few games in my mind that are perfect. This is the only one where even I have never really found anything about it that I do not like. Um, I have played this game... <laughs> so much from early childhood to not understanding how to play the game and getting through it to eventually finally beating it i think when i was like 16 or 17 specifically because of the internet this is this is like uh my castlevania symphony of the night story (laughs) yeah like i i remember physically playing the first like hour or so of super metroid over and over and over and over again because i would go through it get to a spot that i'd I'm like, I don't know what to do. And then just restart a new save and start it over I'm a child. Again. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, most of the reasons were because I was a dumb child. And that's how it works whatever it is. And that game is like, Children for a child, very difficult. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just astounding to me. I, like, it's, to me, also a horror game. Um, the opening of that game is one of the most, like, for us, again, for Super Nintendo game, a terrifying aspect. Name me one other Super Nintendo game that on the title screen has dead corpses on it. Mario is missing. (laughs) (laughs) Where it literally says Super Metroid, the baby Metroid just chirping there, and then like the dead bodies of those who tried, uh, who were killed by Ridley. And having never played the original Metroid or Metroid 2 on Game Boy, this is the first my introduction to it, starting that up and having that the music play and the just the image of Samus and that of the text coming in and explaining the backstory. And then it's being like, Oh, this, the Sarah station is now under attack and then moving in and then going through the entire Sarah station and just being almost absent of any kind of thing. And it's just that going on and you just go ominous baby. It's very creepy and it's very like ominous, like you said. And then getting to the end, I remember as a child, Oh look, it's the Metroid. I mean like, I can't pick up the Metroid. I'm going to leave. I can't leave. Why can't I leave? And then seeing the eyes appear in the darkness, I'm like, what the fuck is that? And then really showing up and scaring the shit out of me as a kid. I remember when I was a kid, I turned it off for the first time because it was too much. Ooh, big like, purple it was dragon very, chicken. It was very much like, I don't, like, this was terrifying. I don't like this or whatever it is. Yeah. But then going back through it and no other game, I think, period, has ever done isolation like Super Metroid has, mm. and the sound design and everything to it is just so perfect on its end of, 
again, you landing on Zebus, you get out of the ship, and it, you just hear the rain and the random mm. cracking of the lightning, and okay. it's complete quiet. You're you're taking me to it right now. <laughs> I did not play this game when I was a kid at all. Period. I did not not in my wheelhouse of games. Um, it wasn't until he made me play it last year that I was like, "Dude, this game is awesome. This game is great." It always bothered me because he loved Castlevania Symphony Night. I love Symphony Never touched never. Metroid. There's a like there's the, a Metroidvania genre. Yeah, they're literally the creation of the He's Metroidvania. He's the Metroid, genre. and I'm the Vania. <laughs> Together we have, we make the best genre. Um, but yeah, it just does such a, a such an amazing job with that, and I do think too, um, more than most games, it really rewards you for paying attention to the environment. The uh, the one thing I always bring up was like when I was a kid, the thing that stopped me the most was Ooh, environmental storytelling again. When you when you <laughs> when you get to Meridia. And you're in the, the, like, glass tube. I always remember that, like, I never, like, that's where I was stuck. I never understood how to get into Meridia. And it and once I finally beat it, I looked online and someone was like, oh, planet power bomb, it breaks the tube. And I remember being like, well, that's the only thing I feel like is dumb because then nothing here explains it. Until you realize that, like, there are multiple tubes you find of the same tube in the game that are shattered and broken, which makes you think, can I break this? And it happens again with, like, their, every spike you find is just moving and moving and moving. And the one area where the spikes aren't real, they're stationary. So mm-hmm. if you are paying attention to every little aspect of the environment, you go to rooms and it will tell you everything. I always, it's one of those funny things where, like, a lot of Metro games, even modern Metro games, you get to a point where, like, you start aiming and firing in areas and finding things. And people are like, how did you even know that was there? It's just like, I have been trained to understand to observe this environment and see like oh here's a room that's completely symmetrical except for this one little block it's probably something there and it usually is something there and the way it again teaches the player how to play the game without telling them and the fact that the spine the the uh i always say this wrong the shine spark uh, <laughs> spine shark i always say spine shark <laughs> the shine spark and the wall jump are not necessary to complete that game it is if you are a speedrunner. Oh, yeah. There are a huge aspects to it. And then, again, if you like are a speedrunner or anything, they are the, the only movements you're using in that damn game. That but, and this. <laughs> but, it, it, <laughs> but it's I think it's so amazing. I think, and the one argument I see a lot of people bring up, and I agree with, but to me, I actually like a lot, is the game is very, very difficult. Mm. It is very much a game where... I cried. When we played, I cried. <laughs> Every little, little bit of like it, well, like every little pressure of how you press the button to jump and move on on the D-pad is perfectly implemented so that like if you type it a little bit, you jump a little bit, you jump a lot, you jump a lot, and you need that to control. Do you do a normal jump? Do you do a spin jump? You need to jump like half the way. You jump the whole room, and like they are very, very important. But when you're a panic player like me, (laughs) that doesn't work. Yeah, I had a hard time. The amount of times I watched him like touch the lava, like okay, 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 and then just like freak out and hit everything else and I'm like you need to calm down you need to calm down Minecraft has taught me lava bad lava is to be is to be feared um but yeah like all those like aspects together combined to me like <laughs> makes it like the perfect like design of a video game and how you craft a video game um and like the met like the platforming metro genre to me like has become like my favorite genre of all um and I've tried so many of them and the, the thing that sucks is that no game has ever captured it the same way. Like, other Metroid games have, I think. 
Metroid Prime is a great example of taking that into a first-person view, but getting the same feeling of the exploration and the isolation mm-hmm. and how it all works and stuff like that. But even, like, I've played War in the Blind West, which I like. I've played Hollow Knight, which I've liked. I've played uh, Axiom Verge, which I've liked. But none of them, like, I get this whole, like, oh, it's it's Metroid. You're going to love it because it's Metroid. And I play it, and I'm like, it's there, but it's not really Metroid. And also, that really all of those games, that. it's like, it's Metroid. It's a little too cute. <laughs> Well, actually, Emerge isn't, but we'll go down that route another route. <laughs> um, but that is definitely why it is my number two best game. Well, sorry, number one. Number one best that. game number of all time. Number one best game of all time. Number one. <laughs> I was saying, because like, we have one more left. So I was thinking, like, all right. <sighs> my number one game of all time. Are you guys ready? You probably know it if you know me. Uh, it's Bloodborne. <laughs> it's Bloodborne, bitches. This game changed my life. <laughs> This game, I bought a $500 board game of this game. I love this game so much that I wanted that much, that I wanted that more, like, more Bloodborne content. Uh, I'm sick of saying it, but the environmental storytelling of this game, plus, like, there's games that you grow up loving. Then there's games that, like, you learn to love. And then there's games that hold you down and beat you until you love it. <laughs> and Bloodborne was that game for me. <laughs> um, like, I picked it up launch day. <laughs> I got to... Everyone knows that starting area with the crew of dudes. I got to the Cleric Beast and I said, No, I'm not going to play this anymore. I don't need that frustration in my life. I'll go back to playing Destiny. <laughs> Um, and then I felt so bad, like, that I just gave up on it and it just sat on my shelf, like, looking at me ominously (laughs) all the time. Just like, why haven't you played me? Like, it, I love gothic horror. I love Lovecraftian horror. I love Victorian settings. That's this game. In a nutshell, pretty much. Like all of it is there. It like that is the setting. That's the storytelling. I love finding out a story by exploring through the environment. I mean, I think both of our lists are nothing but that. Well, so yeah, a if lot you, of it, yeah. game developers, if you want to impress us here at Infinite Bits Games. Environmental storytelling is where you start out. Well, and, and I think a lot of it is like, and you'll probably hear me a lot on this show say that like, story to me is never a thing I care about. Like, whenever I play a video game, it is always the game first, more than, more so yeah. than anything else. So when a game is able to make it so that like, do you care about the story? No? Then go ahead. Just ignore all the stuff that's going on in the environment. Ignore the, the logs. Ignore... The, the item descriptions and just play, then fine. But then it's the idea that, like, oh, now I love the game so much, I want to know more, so now I'll start, I'll replay it, and I'll look in, and I'll really delve into that. Well, I think not... that helps to it a lot versus a game that's trying to shove it in your face yeah a, a lot. Well, <laughs> but, like, with Bloodborne, um, <laughs> like, the... <sighs> Wait. I played through the game and had no idea what the fuck was going on. <laughs> I the first time that I played this game, like I, I, I had my experience. I got the cleric beast and I was like, no, I'm not doing this. 
Um, and when I was like, you know what, I'm going to give this a solid try. And I got maybe like 10 hours in. I hadn't even gotten to the forest, which is like maybe the around the half-ish waypoint. Yeah, I'd probably say that. Um, maybe a little bit before. Maybe a little bit before the halfway point. But, um, I had watched a video of, like, Bloodborne lore, because at this point I was, like, I was getting hooked. It was just in, like, it was in my mind, like, some Lovecraft monster. Just like, (laughs) you should be playing Bloodborne right now. Like, forget painting, forget, like, you know, your job. Do play Bloodborne get home you know ignore your wife and family play bloodborne Uh, (laughs) it still does um it still does that it's just really big now um it's a whole extra part of me uh but (laughs) but like i was watching a video because i was enthralled by it and i was like i i they started talking about characters and like side quests and i was like there's side quests in this what there's there's items that like cause bosses to do other things (laughs) while you're fighting them that make the fight easier or harder depending on how many times you use that said item i was like this is like everything i loved about castlevania but like really hard (laughs) and really dark and really gothic and it was like where castlevania is fun it's bright bloodborne is the negative soul (laughs) of of that like horror genre like when i saw the the first trailer i was like oh i'm down for this i don't know what kind of game it is but i'm down for it uh, that's why I bought it day one. <laughs> but then I figured out what kind of game it was, and I was like, I can't commit to this. <clears throat> um, but I had... I, I gave up on that at that point, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this right. I, I deleted all of my saved files. And I was like, we're going to go again. Third time's the charm on this. If I, like, I'm starting to feel it, I'm getting that love for this game. Uh, I was going to start playing at some point, but then I ended up losing my job. Uh, and it was at that moment that I was like, I was super depressed and Bloodborne was there (laughs) of all things (laughs) to, to really like Bloodborne picked me up. Like, my life was that bad at the time that I was like, you know what? Bloodborne makes me happy. <laughs> um, but, like, it taught me to, like, work through the issues that I was having. It, you know, it pushed me to become a better player at it. Um, and it changed my mindset of how that game works. And, like it hit that click moment for me where it was like, I'm in it to win it. This is my game now. Yeah. We've talked a lot about this fact that it bloodborne, I guess that's Souls game in general, but like bloodborne seems to be the one that everyone is like 
around the most. That there are so many stories I hear all the time of, I played it, I hate it, it's not a game, I want to yeah. play. Alright, fine, everyone keeps talking about it, I'm going to try it again, I hate yep. it, I don't want to play it again. But and that, there's some point, and it seems to be different every time, that somebody, they cross a certain line, that it, it hits them and it clicks, and it's now no longer from... I can't play this game. These are just not for me to being like, this is one of the best games I've ever played in my entire life. Yeah. Um, it, it, it did for me. That is exactly... I said, and I hear that so often. And it the weird to me too is that it's never been the same point. They've always been different points. Yeah. So I don't even know... For, for me, I had to be at like my lowest low. <laughs> that was like, everything I'm experiencing right now, Bloodborne is better. <laughs> But it's always one of the interesting things to me about the franchise, about Bloodborne and the Souls genre as a whole, is that it does seem to be one of those things. I'm, I'm, I feel like one of the few cases that uh, we weren't living around each other. I think you were living in Philly, and I was in Florida yeah. at the time when when Bloodborne came out, so that we weren't around when we played it. I got it at launch uh, because I remember hearing so much about Dark Souls and mm-hmm. I wanted to play them but my brain was like oh I need to play Demon Souls then Dark Souls then Dark Souls 2 and blah blah blah, blah. so when I saw Bloodborne it's I'm a like, long slippery slope don't do it <laughs> I was like I was like Bloodborne is like a new starting <coughs> off point so when the game comes out I'm going to pick it up and play it and see what everyone's been talking about with all these different things mm-hmm. and I remember getting it at launch playing through it being like yeah this game is really 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 good and amazing and everyone needs to play it um so it, it was interesting to me, again, to find out that most so many people tried, failed, tried, failed, yeah. tried, and then it hit. When, like, I immediately was like, oh, I'm going for the whole run. Now, granted, I also very much, I hate not finishing games, so yeah. I make it my purpose to finish it. So I feel like even if I had played the first hour and would have been like, eh, I probably still would have pushed through the get to that point. Um, but I, I feel like I like the whole game through the big from the beginning. And now, granted... It's very much like an old school NES game where it is very much punishing mm-hmm. and it is very trying, and I am very much a love of that kind of feel. So I think it helped me out in the start oh, of I, it. I am but. now. <laughs> Bloodborne taught me to. Uh, but it was because of that um, that moment, I was like, I'm going to personally challenge myself. I'm going to make it my goal to platinum Bloodborne. And then, like... Like that, that was an adventure for me. Um, like platinuming Bloodborne makes you go through things <laughs> that you can just totally miss. You can play Bloodborne twenty times. Mm-mm. You're not gonna see it. You're not gonna see what Bloodborne is. If I recommend that if you do. If you if you are into Bloodborne, if you like that kind of genre, go for the platinum. Use guides if you have to. It doesn't matter. If you want to experience what Bloodborne is to its complete what makes Bloodborne Bloodborne, try platinuming it. Um because you will basically see everything that this game has to offer. Um there will be times when you will want to rip your face hair out. <laughs> uh, well, that's why I actually kind of I kind of like going through it once without anything, and then going through with the platinum. Yeah, because when I beat it the first time, uh, I, I finished it. I didn't do the whole umbilical cord thing. I didn't get to the end part or whatever it is. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, last of the game was really really cool and stuff like that. And then 
the next several months seeing all this thing and that thing and being like, I don't remember any of that and this and the other. And I remember that, I want to say it was a year after the game had come out, the DLC had already been out. Yeah. Um, the DLC was on sale. And I remember buying the DLC uh, and then it was like, how do I access it? And then I looked online. It's like, oh, go to this thing and do this thing. So I was like, I think I know where that is. So I loaded up one of my saves right before the boss fight, the end boss fight. Went to go where I thought that was. I was like, oh, okay, I found the path because I'm going down a whole area I didn't see before. Went through, fought like three other bosses, got to the end of it and was like, where is, like, I thought there was something else that looked up. That was not the DLC. That was just an entire area of the game I had never seen before and never experienced. So a yes, year sir. later, I had a whole another like, five or ten hours of a new game that I didn't even know existed. Yep. Um, and That was the Upper Cathedral Ward, wasn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, and then when, um, I think it was, what, like, two or three years ago, um, me and him wanted to hang out more, so we decided that he was going to help me platinum it. So I came back to his house like almost every week yeah. playing it over and over again and helping me go through it and again seeing so much stuff that I hadn't seen before didn't even know about these things and this and the other and I kind of I like the fact that you will not see everything and yeah. I like the fact that you could finish that game be like I'm done with it and never come back to it even and there's a lot of stuff you miss and that's fine but like it is very much a like I want to come back to see more I want to go to this and it definitely and that's like, what drove me back yeah. to it was I wanted to see everything that Bloodborne had to offer to this day I still haven't done every type of chalice that kills me <laughs> I want to go do that like I keep saying like I'm gonna turn my PlayStation 4 back. I'm gonna hook my PlayStation 4 back up and I'm gonna I'm gonna play through Bloodborne and do all the different types of chalices maybe someday i mean i've only i've only beaten it twice and i still like have kept it on my ps4 and then when i got my ps5 it was the first like essential title or whatever it is that i yeah. made sure to redownload and i still have it on my ps5 so that if any moment randomly i'm just like i'm in the mood i just want to play this i'll pick it up and play it even after playing uh demon souls and playing a bunch of dark souls 3 and watch people play Dark Souls 2, and I've played like the Surge and other ones that are like it. Bloodborne still does somehow far succeed all of these things. Yeah. Like, it was my slippery slope into these damn games. Like, I platinumed that, and then I would. I had gotten Dark Souls 2 for like a super stupid like sale. It was like $4 on PlayStation or whatever, but I was like, oh, I have Dark Souls 2. Maybe I'm platinum that. <laughs> and then that was frustrating. So then I got Dark Souls 3 and I was like, well, maybe I'll platinum that too. And then one. They're all getting platinum. <laughs> like any Souls game. I'm just, I'm trying to do it. Like it's, that's my love now. I don't go that far in games, but I just, Bloodborne was my first, and god damn it, I want more. <laughs> like, <coughs> like again, the Bloodborne board game came out. That's more Bloodborne content <laughs> for me. Like, I'm painting the miniatures because it's like, oh, I remember when you killed me so bad. And <laughs> it's just like, oh, this was my favorite weapon guy. Um, but it just, it. I want to surround myself with everything that is that game because uh, I just, I love it so much. Um, it is the culmination of everything that I've been talking about on my lists. 
from like the exploration to the story building on itself to even in Mega Man 3 when I said that, you know, you fight reprises of old bosses. That's what the chalice dungeons are in this game. Um, it's like my entire top list in one game <laughs> is what Bloodborne is for me. Uh, and that's that's why it's number one. Like, that is my per- my perfect game. If I could live in a world, it would be the Bloodborne world. I don't know if you want to live in that world. <laughs> okay, it would be Pokemon, but still... <laughs> It would be Pokemon. Everybody, like, if you could live in a video game world, what would it be? You know it's Pokemon. I don't want to be Pokemon. I got, like, nine-year-olds trying to steal my money every time I throw Pokeballs (laughs) at me. I just want to go to the store. (laughs) I want to buy paper towels because my little Pokemon's peeing everywhere. Apparently I'm forced to walk towards them and be like, what a Pokemon fight. I've got three Weedles. I am a grown-ass man. With a Pangoro that is level 100. It's got Iron Fist. So all of its punch moves do an extra 25% damage. Don't even come at me, kid. I will wreck you. Anyway, so that was... I also really number. like Pokemon. That was your number one? Yeah. And now, so those were our top fives. Now, granted, this is going on a lot longer... Oh, yeah, it is. Than we expected. Yeah. So we're probably going to wrap it up here. We were going to talk about Resident Evil. What we've been playing okay. on. Say, you, you have three words to describe Resident Evil 8. Go. Uh, like RE7. I know technically that was four, but RE is one word, so fuck you. RE is one word? So fuck you. Wait. <laughs> okay. If I could describe Resident Evil in Resident Evil 8 in three words, it's ouch Ethan's hands. (laughs) It's so funny because it is very much like we're in first person, so what can we show our person getting injured with? Well the only thing that comes up in the camera is his hands. Just fuck him up. What, but we can't keep... No, you can keep fucking him up. We'll we find have, new ways to keep fucking him up. <laughs> we have ways to make him hurt. <laughs> but like, you can watch us stream, the, the stream we have on our Twitch channel. Yep. For the majority of it. The first one isn't quite there with some problems. But for the most part, it's there. Yeah, yeah. Playthrough 2 and Playthrough 3, it's all together like six hours worth of content. Um... But we have one more playthrough, we think, and then we should be done with it. Yeah. Um, we were going to talk about Destiny's Season of the Splicer today as well, but... We went way longer we than went way, We like talking about our faves, okay? <laughs> you want to... Don't, don't hate on us. Don't hate. Um, but we want to know from you guys what your top fives are. Um, and if if they're bloodborne as number one, that's awesome. Like you're my best friend now. Uh, if you're if it's Super Metroid, you're his best friend now. <clears throat> um, but you know, like gaming and nerd culture is what brings us all together, and it's these stories of what these games mean to us that keeps us in this culture and keeps us together. Um, so let us know what your tops are or like a fun story about like what that game means to you what 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 does your top game mean to you uh because we we want to know about it 
Um, we want to share those experiences, and we're here to share experiences with you guys. So until then, keep playing. Nerds of the world, unite. See ya, everybody.